Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, Paddy? It's been like two days since we spoke. Yes, because we're recording this on a Wednesday, which is not our usual time, which is Sunday. Um, but other than that, yes, I am positively fantastic, as per usual. You know, this is this is a nice uh, change of pace, a midweek podcast rather than a wake up on a Sunday morning podcast yeah it's beautiful truly beautiful yeah basically guys i'm i'm going on one of those uh staycations um for the weekend going to sligo and i reckon i don't know if we have any sligo people from here but i reckon the internet probably isn't fantastic in sligo so we said we better get the podcast out of the way before i head away so yeah that's where we're at not that it's good in cork either yeah not that it's good in cork anyway you know um but yeah so basically like this is probably gonna be a quicker episode because it's probably something that has come up um in previous podcasts but it's something that is uh, quite pervasive on social media and it's this idea of um calorie bragging and like that's a phrase that we use but basically what we mean when we talk about calorie bragging is this idea that dieting on higher calories is inherently better and that, you know, you're a better coach because you get people to diet on more calories, for example. Um, and in some cases, like that actually is something that is quite valuable because obviously uh, a coach who is able to uh, ensure that someone reaches their goal without them having to excessively uh, restrict any area of their life, whether it be, you know, the, the foods that they eat or the quantity of foods that they eat, like that's generally something that's desirable. But the problem is that, Obviously, there's significant variability between people in terms of caloric requirements, um, between the sexes, uh, between people who engage in different types of activity, um, and also in terms of how much you know activity someone is doing as part of their dietary approach, like their overall approach towards the diet or the fat loss uh, phase, you could say. Because basically, like what, what you can do or what anyone can do is just exercise for four hours a day and effectively eat whatever you want you know like that's something that has definitely made some of my fat loss phases easier in the past last last late last summer and, and into the autumn I was doing a lot of running um, and I was you know running upwards of like 20 to 30 kilometers um, when I was going for those longer runs and I'd be running most days and doing a bit of jiu-jitsu and doing some weight training and as a result I was able to eat a heap of calories and still stay really lean and get really lean but what you don't see from the outside is that when you start to engage in that your appetite's also just like really out of control like you're just ravenous you know so what you have to realize is that the amount of calories that you diet on is almost always relative so i've been uh, at periods of time where i've been on 1800 to 2000 calories while dieting and my appetite would be equivalent um or my how, how satiated i feel in response to that level of calories would be equivalent to how i might feel at 3000 or 3500 calories at another point in time. So it's not inherently better. And obviously the latter costs more money and you're investing more time into exercise. Um, so it's, it's not always a, a good thing, you know? Yeah. Like there's so many launching points we can have for this discussion yeah. because like ultimately we're talking about this calories in calories out equation and people make it out on social media that they've, you know, cracked the code and they have all these secret little protocols and variables that they can manipulate and that only they know. Um, and it's, you know, their coaching is going to get you to a point where we can effectively allow you to diet on loads of calories, but still get results, you know, which is obviously 
that's an unlimited or an unreal uh, sales pitch. You know, if you're talking to people that are like, yeah, I really struggle to maintain a calorie deficit because I have to eat 1400 calories to lose weight. And you're over here telling them, yeah, look, here's someone that's in a similar position to you. You know, they're whatever, 70 kilos and you're 70 kilos. And they're like, look, they're dieting on 2,800 calories. Um, and you have to diet on 1,400? Oh, something must be wrong there, you know? Uh, like that's, like it's, you can see how that's such a good sales pitch. If you're looking at it purely from a business perspective, if you're, you know, selling that and you're like, yeah, I can tell people that I can get them to diet on 2,800 and they're struggling on 1,400 to lose weight. Like you, you can see if you're someone trying to buy a, a service or a product, you're like, okay, well, obviously I want to be eating 2,800 versus 1,400, you know? So again, you, you just from a sales perspective, you can see why this occurs, you know? But it it kind of goes against, well, it goes against what we stand for, which is not lying effectively, um, because what they're mostly doing is increasing people's activity to get to that level of calories, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, someone that's dieting on 1,400 calories and maybe they do go to the gym four times per week, you know, so that's fairly average. You know, we'll say they're a 60 kilo female. They want to be down at 50 kilos. They're like, that's where I feel great. That's where I was when I was 17, 18, whatever. And that's what I want to be. I'm now 25. I've been in the workforce for a couple of years now. I've noticed that I've packed on a few kilos, you know, my activity, you know, it's not where, or my health, everything. Like You're kind of like, oh, I want to lose some weight basically. Right. And you, effectively what they're doing is they're selling to that person and going, yeah, look, I can get you to diet on super high calories. And the missing piece quite often is just baseline activity. All they'll start doing is getting them to track, like track your steps per day. I want you to hit 10,000 steps per day. Or if they're not doing that, they'll just bring in cardio to effectively bring it to that level. You know, they'll be like, yeah, it's only four resistance training sessions per week that I'm doing. You know, this someone that's selling it. But then underneath the hood, you look a little bit deeper and it's like, oh yeah, but you actually wake up six days per week and do 30 minutes on the Stairmaster or uh, the treadmill or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, you are like, that's still training. That's still, you know, activity. That's still contributing to calorie expenditure, you know? So it's not like these people are destroying this uh, calories in calories out argument or coming up with these, you know, un un unbelievable protocols that allow you to eat more and, you know, still lose fat. All they're doing is making you expend more energy. Like that's that's the secret. Like whatever method they do to uh, enable that, that's the secret. Now that could be the case. It could be the case where you know your training methods, you as an individual, your training methods aren't you know great. They're not you know you're not focusing on compound movements. You're doing a lot of isolation stuff. So even though you're training four times per week, your training sessions themselves aren't contributing hugely to, you know, burning calories, not that you should be setting up your resistance training to burn calories, but you know, your overall expenditure in those sessions, like it isn't high. And you're thinking like, Oh, well I go to the gym four times per week. Surely I should be, you know, burning a good amount of calories. And then you get on with this person that they're selling you this, you know, Oh, my clients died on whatever. And they get you to do, you know, more calorie expending, lifts you know like they're they're more compound lifts they get you doing like squats deadlifts that kind of stuff um or or they start bringing in some like strategic cardiovascular work and ultimately all they've done is 
increased your energy expenditure. And as a result, your calories out has gone up. So if your calories in doesn't go up, then you're definitely going to start losing weight. But generally what they'll do is they'll increase your calories out by, we'll say 700 extra calories per day. So then they're like, oh, let's increase your food by 500. There's still this 200 difference. So you think like, wow, they increased my food by 500 and I'm still losing you know, fat or I've started losing fat. I wasn't previously. You're thinking, oh, wow, it was, it was because I didn't eat food. That was, that was the issue. It was the, I, I wasn't eating enough to lose fat, right? And ultimately it just comes down to that calorie expenditure equation. All they've done as a secret is increase your calories out, right? Now, I don't want people to, to hear that and go like, oh, well, obviously then it's just, you know, add a load of extra cardio, do a load of extra steps per day, blah, 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 right? Because what there can be, we have, and we have to factor this in like all the time. And I'm actually currently like doing a, a little bit of a case report or a case study for the coach's corner on this, where sometimes increasing calories does actually lead to increases in calorie expenditure, you know, uh, and adherence. So we have to factor that in as well. So what, what can happen is someone can tell you there, oh, I'm, I'm struggling to lose weight on 1400 calories or 1200 calories or whatever, you know, relatively small number it, it is, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm really struggling to lose weight on that. When you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that they are really struggling to even hit that 1200 or 1400 or whatever it is calories. And, you know, quite often they're actually going over it by a substantial amount because, you know, they're not able to adhere to it. They're excessively hungry. They end up having like not binge eating uh, sessions, uh, but basically they, they do eat more than they, they intended to at meals or in between meals or whatever. And all of a sudden their calories in is actually way higher than they anticipated. It could be about like 2000, 2200, whatever. And they're like, yeah, I'm really struggling at 1400 because they're going through these large periods where their, their calorie intake is very low. And as a result, that leads to them eating more. This could happen a few days per week. It could happen daily, but also on top of that, you know, because they're eating so low throughout the day, they feel lethargic. They aren't moving around as much. They, 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 their calorie expenditure just, you know, day to day is not where it needs to be. You know, they're, they're basically just not hitting their steps. If we're using steps as a, a proxy for, you know, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, um, like they're, they're, they're not, they're not expending calories throughout the day because they just feel lethargic. They just feel low on energy. And also then, you know, even if they are training their training sessions, like there aren't, they aren't progressive. They're not going in motivated to, to train hard, to, to really you know, put the effort in on their lifts. Cause they're like, Oh man, I only had, I only had 800 calories today before my evening training session, because you know, I'm trying to keep my calories before down to 1400 and I want to have something to eat before I go to bed. And you know, they, they just have low energy. So they're just like low motivation. They're not pushing themselves in the gym. And as a result, they're not expending a, a huge amount of calories in the gym. Right. And um, so all of that contributes then to a situation where their calories out, their output is actually just really, really reduced. Right. And you know, even if their calories in was to be at 1400, that can still be quite low. What we already said, you know, their adherence to that 1400 is not great because it's too low for them. Like subjectively, they feel it's too low. And all of a sudden they're, you know, they're binge eating or they're, they're eating a little bit extra here, or they're doing whatever. They're not hitting the, the calorie intake, even though they think they are, or they feel like 
oh, I'm restricted because I'm, I'm hitting four, 1,400, you know, when in reality they're actually eating 2,000, 2,200. And um, when you actually total, total up the food, maybe that's once per week and they're just having a, a huge binge eating session or maybe it's in between meals. And this is, this is really frequent. And it's, if you are a new coach or you are a new uh, person to health and fitness and you've never, been experienced, you've never been exposed to this or you've never heard about this, this can be like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? Like, you know, like, what's going on? You know, it can be very, um, you know, off putting in terms of you, you, you then start questioning whether this calories in calories out stuff is actually correct because this person is saying they're eating 1400 and all of a sudden they increased their calories and they started losing weight, you know? And it's like, what, what's happening here? But if we look at that exact uh, situation there, um, and obviously again, we'll dive deeper into it in the, if you're in the coach's corner when it launches, um, there will be like case studies, case reports of this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, if they start eating more, all of a sudden they're more energetic throughout the day. They're like, oh yeah, I'm actually effortlessly getting 12,000 steps per day. Or like, you know, they're moving around more, you know, they're more talkative, they're more you know, energetic, just, they're just expending more cal- calories because they have more calories to expend and they, they feel that, you know, like their body physiologically, they're like, yeah, I have whatever increases in thyroid hormone and whatever else. And it's like, oh, I'm actually burning more calories day to day, but also they want to progress in the gym. They want to push forward in the gym. They're able to, you know, really go into that gym session, you know, progress the weights that they're using, really put a lot of effort into it. And even if it's something like, you know, cardiovascular work, you know, we're just doing like cardio to burn calories, you know, all of a sudden they're burning that 500 calories that they wanted to burn on the treadmill they're doing it in like half the time because they're not like you know barely walking on the treadmill it takes 40 minutes to do it and then something else as like they, they have more calories all of a sudden they're banging it out in 20 minutes you know and they're like actually i wouldn't mind doing 30 minutes and all of a sudden they're doing extra extra calories not that you know most people will burn 500 calories in 20 minutes on the treadmill but you know that's i'm just using those as random numbers um but uh you know so effectively we increase calories and all of a sudden energy expenditure goes up, you know, and we, we can do this in a way that we increase calories to a point where energy expenditure still goes up above those. So we're still actually in a deficit. So even though I've increased calories and you think, Oh, you know, there's no deficit anymore. We're actually going to be in a surplus. All that happens as a response is, you know, calories out goes up and it's still above the calories in. So you're still in a calorie deficit, right? So that's why weight loss still keeps happening, you know? And, and again, you can sell this as tricks, hacks, whatever else, because, you know, if someone's going, coming to you and they're not tracking their, their niche, they're not tracking their daily steps, and all of a sudden you give them a step target that they, they must hit every single day, whether it's 8,000, 9,000, 10,000, 12,000, 15,000, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't feel necessarily like they're they're training or being more active you know they're like oh yeah i just park a little bit further away walk here you know every hour in work i do a five minute walk around the office whatever and it slowly adds up so they don't really feel like they're doing a huge amount extra in terms of output but the actual caloric demand of that from going from a thousand steps per day to ten thousand steps per day you know can be quite large especially if you are a, a larger individual like if you weigh 120 kilos like that's quite a, a significant jump in expenditure just because you have to move around 120 kilos every single day, you know, getting those steps in, you know? So effectively this, there's, this is just uh, misdirection, we'll call it, you know? People are not telling the whole story. 
You know, they're not telling you about the extra activity that they're doing as a result of having extra calories, you know? Yeah. And, and I think like if someone's listening to all that, they might be thinking, right. So I've actually increased my activity a lot as part of, you know, my fat loss goal. I'm dieting on higher calories. Should I stop? And like, what I would say to that is that there's actually, there's a couple of cases to consider, right? Because when you look at the actual research on weight loss, one of the things that does tend to be protective in terms of actual weight loss maintenance is higher levels of activity. Okay. So weight loss, uh, like weight loss itself um, has to be considered in, in the context of was it just diet? Was it diet plus dec- plus exercise? And what kind of contribution was there? Um, because like the chances of maintenance, as I said, higher if you've been exercising more. So that's like a good sign. That's like a sign that someone might think, okay, so I should probably you know do more exercise. But what I would say is that there's a difference between uh, just that finding in isolation and the way it's often approached in, especially the kind of physique um, and body transformation side of the fitness industry, you know, especially in the bodybuilding sphere, you see this um, really highlighted where someone will introduce a mode of exercise that's basically intended to only be there as, as long as they're trying to lose body fat. Okay. And that's very different to introducing new activity to someone that you're intending for them to maintain long-term. Okay. So if you're someone who's, uh, let's say you're saying to yourself, I'm going to do a 12 week fat loss phase. I'm going to start increasing my cardio as I go along. Cause I want to diet and higher calories. I don't want to drop my calories down as much. The risk there is that you start to do, let's say five hours of cardio a week, which isn't unreasonable. You know, it's doable. Um, lots of people do that much. And then what you do at the end of your diet, when you reach your goal, you know, let's say you've been dieting on 3000 calories or whatever, um, and you happen to be burning an extra or 2000 calories, let's say, or 3000 calories, your weekly energy expenditure was coming from the cardio that you were doing. Now, when you actually remove that at the end of your diet, you've now got a big discrepancy um, between the calorie equation you were looking at previously and the calorie equation you were looking at now. Because if you remove the cardio, it's similar to you just eating more. And what often happens is that people remove the cardio and they start to eat more. So clearly in that case, the exercise that you have done is not going to be predictive of weight loss maintenance because it's actually going to have the opposite effect. It's more likely that you'll continue eating or you'll continue your previous eating practices and some and reduce your activity. And then as a result, you end up gaining excess body fat thereafter. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, the risks that can, that, that can um, pop up, especially if you're considering like the additional cardio or the additional activity, it could even just be your step count. If you're considering it to be just a short term variable. Um, so that's something that I would look out for. However, if it's the case that you're just someone who, you know, you've taken up running and now you're dieting on more calories than you ever have in the past, and you intend to continue running long into the future, then that's absolutely not a problem at all. You know, that's not a big deal. Um, but there is also this relationship. Like I kind of like to look at like how many calories you eat on a diet. I like to look at it through the lens of uh, like, firstly, appetite regulation, um, and then the actual social elements. Because for me, there's a social threshold of calories that makes it more difficult to stick to, to stick to a diet independent of hunger itself. And an example of that would be if someone's on 1500 calories a day and they're eating three meals a day and they want to go out for a meal with friends, like regardless of how hungry they are or not, they do not have the freedom 
that someone who's on 3000 calories does. Okay. And it's not just an appetite thing. It can't be quantified in terms of relative calories in versus calories out. It's simply the fact that if you go to a restaurant, it's very few meals that are less than 1200 calories, you know? Um, so you could be coming in close to your full daily target um, just by virtue of doing that. Similarly, if you're going out for a few drinks, again, it takes such a large relative chunk out of your daily calorie intake that it is just more difficult for those social events. And that's something that's difficult for smaller individuals and, and often smaller women who are kind of like, it's not uncommon for like, if you've got a, a woman who's 50 in her 50 kilo range, for example, um, I even had a, a guy who I'm working with recently who was down as low as, you know, 14, 1500 calories in his dieting phase, even lower some days um, because he's in the 60, in the sixties, you know, that's his body weight. And if you're less active, like that's just reasonable. So what you have to realize there is that it's very, it's very normal for, healthy individuals to be on those lower calorie ranges, even between 12 and 1500 calories. I know when people get below 2000, it's like, oh, that's blasphemy. That's too low. But the reality is that for him, like it actually just wasn't a big deal. He, like I would ask him almost every week, I'd be saying, you know, how's, how's your appetite? How's your energy, energy levels? He's like, great, like not a problem at all. Whereas when I think about what it would be like to, to be on the level of calories that he was at, I'm like, God, that'd be hell. You know, I'd, I'd have no energy. I'd be hungry all the time. Whereas for him, that just wasn't the case. So it is all relative, but it also means that I, if I was dieting at 3000 calories, I could go for pizza and squeeze it in. Whereas for him, it, he didn't have that liberty. Okay. So from my perspective, there's a social, uh, there's a social threshold there that obviously depends on what your food preferences are, how often you eat out, what your lifestyle is, etc. especially difficult for people who, um, so I, we've worked with some people who have corporate jobs that involve them bringing people out for lunch and for dinner and things like that. And that can be quite challenging. So there is that social threshold that makes dietary adherence more difficult. And for individuals like that, I'm often trying to encourage a higher level act of activity just so we can get them to the point where, look, this is going to make your life easier, but it's not always possible. Um, and that doesn't necessarily reduce the chances of dietary success. It might just mean that we need other strategies in place. Now, with that said, that's the social element. There's also an appetite regulation element to this where you kind of tend to see both in some of the evidence and definitely in practice that there's this kind of uh, u-shaped relationship um, where at very low levels of activity people are very poor at regulating their appetite okay in terms of like a mismatch between what they eat and what their calorie needs actually are and that's obviously one of the benefits of uh, if you are someone who is overweight and trying to lose weight if you're very inactive like exercise is going to be re re really beneficial in that context however as you get to the middle of the range, appetite tends to be a little bit better regulated. And I don't have exactly like how many hours of exercise this is per week. It's something that's probably quite individual. But as you kind of increase your activity up to a certain point, appetite regulation becomes a bit better. You know, you're better at matching your needs um, for what you're actually or your needs with what you're actually eating. Um, whereas then as you get to the higher levels of activity, and this is definitely something I've experienced myself. If, you're, if your maintenance is getting up to, let's say, 4,000, 5,000 calories a day because you're super, super active, you're, you're just ravenous. And there's such a, there can be such a large margin of error there because if you are aiming for, let's say, 1,500, 2,000 calories in a meal, like there's just such a little 
relative difference in that and eating 2200 calories or 2300 calories so if i'm building some sort of meal and i'm like yeah shove in some nuts some dark chocolate some honey or whatever especially if you're not tracking your calories it's very easy to overshoot in those contexts because of the sheer volume of calories that you're actually consuming so there's an opportunity there for you to totally overshoot and that's something i've definitely found in the past with uh, doing more endurance type training i find it easier to to just overshoot and to really easily catch up to those calories um, in a way that you wouldn't expect if you hadn't been there. And again, that's not the case for everyone. And for some people, it's really hard for them to even get to the point of maintenance. And you do see people in relative energy deficiency in some endurance sports because they're just not able to keep up with their energy needs, particularly if they're trying to diet at the same time. So, so yeah, there as well. Like, like this, it's really, once you get into this time of hunger stuff, it's actually really, first of all, interesting stuff. Well, I find it interesting. Uh, yeah. But, uh, it's actually really so individual. For example, I use myself as the example, like at around 3000 calories, that's always where I'm like, yeah, like I, that's the kind of calorie level that consistently makes me feel like satiated no matter what. Right. And I say no matter what, because my activity level could be 1500, you know, like, like obviously I'm 95 ish kilos. So it would be pretty hard for me to get down to just 1500. Like I'd literally have to be bed bound. But anyway, look, what I'm saying is my calorie expenditure per day could be quite low, right? But I'll still be hungry for that 3000 calories, right? However, on the flip side of that, like my expenditure could be phenomenal. Like my output could be phenomenal. Like I remember when I used to work in a gym and I used to cycle there, you know, when it's about a 20 minute cycle from my house, do like, you know, fitness classes there as well like yoga which obviously isn't a huge ex- expenditure but spin classes as well Um, used to do my own resistance training and used to be doing like mma training on top of that right and like i could be easily putting out six thousand calories of output per day but i would still feel pretty satiated if i only had three thousand you know like i wouldn't be like ravenous like gary's saying here with this huge output you know it, i just wouldn't feel hungry for more than that. Like I'd still force in 5,000 calories or whatever it was. And because I was like, oh, I, I need this or else like my body weight just starts like plummeting, you know? But for me, there's this lag between the, the hunger, like the expenditure of that day and then the hunger. Because what I would notice is, you know, three, four days later, there's a few days of this, like where I'm not hitting my calorie needs, then I would start feeling hungry. But on the actual day itself or even the day after, it would be no factor for me, right? So that's like, what I'm, what I'm trying to say for that is like, there's, there's a huge variation in, in it. And like, for me, it might be very easy to lose weight um, if I am you know, expending a lot of calories because as soon as I get over 3,500 calories of expenditure per day, I still feel pretty satiated on 3,000 calories. So it's very easy for me to create a 500 calorie deficit as a result. You know, whereas if I'm not that active and I only really feel satiated on 3000 calories, you know, if I'm only expending 2,500 and I'm trying to, you know, get a 500 calorie deficit and I'm eating 2000, like that's a thousand below where I feel satiated, you know? So again, we, we have to take the individual and their hunger levels and, you know, the, the psychology around that. Like I like to look at a bigger meal when I'm eating it. I don't like to see this little small meal. I'm like, oh, that's five uh, forkfuls and I'm done, you know, I'm like psychologically, I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking that I'm not going to be full after that, you know? And so there's all this like psych uh, psychology around this uh, as well. So what, what I'm saying is 
you know, when we start comparing calories and start looking at calories across different individuals, uh, without, especially without comparing activity levels, you know, it just gets really, really messy, you know, and ultimately it just comes down to an individual endeavor in terms of you're going to have to find where these numbers are for yourself in terms of, you know, maybe it is 2000 calories. You feel really, really satiated on that. You enjoy that level of food. You know, you don't really have a huge hunger for higher and higher calorie levels, even if you are more active. And as a result, you might be like, all right, cool. I'm just going to increase my output to above that and stay at that level. You know, that could be the intervention, which this is also something as well that, you know, if we, we look at, you know, the daily life of people across the year, you know, oftentimes you'll hear people report, oh, I find it easier to lose weight during the summer, you know, and you look into it a little bit deeper and all of a sudden they're like, oh, your activity level, you're actually getting 12,000 steps per day, you know? So you're actually still eating roughly the same intake as you always do, you know, like in and around, like obviously if you're free living, free tracking, you're not, or sorry, not tracking. And like if you're eating roughly the same stuff every single day, you know, and you start increasing your activity, your output just throughout the day, you're like, "Hmm, why do I effortlessly lose weight uh, during the summer? And then during the winter, all of a sudden your activity goes down. It's like raining out, snowy, whatever, terrible weather. You're down to like 6,000, 5,000 steps per day. You're like, I always seem to put weight on uh, during the winter. And you're like, maybe it's vitamin D. Maybe that's the, that, that's the thing that, that's causing it. You know, when again, it's just this, this, this calorie situation that's going on and, and it's being manipulated. And, you know, there's a level of calories that independent of how exercise you know, changes or how activity changes, you still feel relatively satiated at, you know, within obviously a, a band, like for some people, like I was saying, it might just, there's no top end to it. You could just be, extraordinarily hungry even from you know relatively small amounts of of activity you know you burn 200 calories and all of a sudden you're like man i'm ravenous i could stuff down a thousand calories you know and that it's just hard you know to give a general recommendation and a general discussion on this when we're talking about individual responses yeah and and not to go too far off track in terms of like just turning this into a an appetite discussion because we will get back on track but i just want to add a couple of comments as well in terms of like other mediators that mightn't initially come to mind so like th- think of right like cognitive factors so for example if you're someone who views your your exercise purpose um as being you know, it's for the purpose of general health. You're saying I exercise because I want to be healthy. I identify as a healthy person. Like that's part of my identity and I want to do everything I can to just be healthier, or improve cardiovascular disease or whatever, you know, then there's probably other behaviors associated with your response then. So if you come home from an exercise session um, and you're quite hungry, then you're not just initially going to, you know, go and grab the the Doritos or, you know, some sugary cereal or chocolate or whatever, um, <laughs> even though it'd be really nice because there's something else like from a cognitive perspective that, that you're able to say, actually, that's not what people like me eat. I'm actually going to eat, you know, something else. And, and, and then that ties in with the environmental factors as well, because if you're that type of person, again, you've got certain foods stocked in your house. Whereas if you're if I was at home now um, at my house in Killarney, I know that my mom will have bought like loads of cookies and stuff and just loads of grub because she knows I'm coming home and she's just a feeder. Like, so when I come home from a jujitsu session or something, I know for a fact that I will eat differently at home than I will if I was here in Cork. 
purely because the environment is different and there's different mediators going on there. There's even social mediators being like, all right, you know, my mom got me this food, so I feel obliged, you know, I'm going to eat some cookies, whatever. So there's, there's other things that are more complicated in this relationship as well. Like obviously genetic factors, for example, if you're someone who um, adapts really rapidly to in terms of like metabolic adaptation to reductions in calories, then you're going to be uh, conserving energy a bit more. You know, you're not going to have that same, you know, jittery kind of tendency to be active all the time that you did when you were on higher calories. And that could then change your, um, the calories that you're actually on. Um, and even like another thing is like socioeconomic factors. So for example, if you're someone who's on, if you're, if you're going into a diet and someone, you're a coach is saying to you, um, oh yeah, I can get you to diet on 3000 calories. Um, and you've actually had previous diets on 1500 calories. And you're like, that was actually fine for me. And look, I saved a bit of money. You know, that's something that could be a concern for people too. Maybe you don't want to spend more money um, on food by just being on higher calories. So look, these things are, are complicated. And there's lots of other things that come into appetite regulation and not just the regulation, but the actual response in terms of what someone then chooses to eat when they are hungry after a workout um, or whatever it might be, you know, because for, for other people who exercise, if they're just exercising as a means of purely burning calories and they're like, yeah, I just want to burn calories so I can eat more. Then when you come home, your choices are going to be very different because you're going to say, well, yeah, I earned the Doritos. I earned the ice cream. So now I'm going to eat that stuff. So yeah, the cognitive factors, the environmental factors, genetic factors, everything, it all ties into it. But ultimately bringing it back to our question of this kind of idea of calorie bragging and whether it's inherently better or worse to diet on a particular level of calories, ultimately it depends on like what you're actually having success with and all the other factors in terms of your, your preferences. Because on average, yes, it probably is better to diet at a higher average activity level than the general population for sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that higher is always going to be better. And what I would always want to know is, is, is that if someone is going to add in additional cardio, is this or additional cardio or additional activity in general, is this something you're likely to sustain for the long term? And that's particularly the case if someone's just kind of signing up for coaching and they're trying to also build up some exercise habits. I'm concerned with what they can do for the long term. I don't want to push someone up to 20,000 steps a day and two hours of exercise a day if I know that's only going to last 12 weeks because that's far more likely then that at the end of that diet phase, that person's actually going to end up with a greater rebound and I actually didn't do my job properly because all I got was a transformation photo, but I didn't actually help the person in the long term. Whereas in the case of something like bodybuilding, contest prep, or someone who's just like, look, all I want are my photos from my photo shoot. That's all I want and I'll do everything that I can to get there in eight weeks. In those cases, there are additional trade-offs to be made because the person is saying, this is the date, this is the goal. And generally, it's going to be quite extreme. So if someone's trying to get to 4% body fat, you just have to do things that aren't supposed to be sustainable. And there's a justifiable rebound after that. You actually want the person gaining weight. Whereas for most of our weight loss clients, like we don't want them um, gaining lots of weight again thereafter or after, after the diet phase. Maybe a little bit, but, but not too much. So ultimately, sustainability is more important in those contexts. So what I would say to people is that you shouldn't necessarily uh, rest the success of your diet on the level of calories that you were on. Um, but it can, it can be important in some cases. Okay. It doesn't mean that you should just go as low as you possibly can and not be active. I don't think that's a, a generally good idea either. Yeah. And I would just like to also add to that, that comparing your calories to someone else's calories without knowing yeah. 
all of the equation in terms of all of the, the calories they are putting out per day. Um, it's just terrible. But also on top of that, like if there's differences in lean mass, there's inherently a difference in resting metabolic rate or basal metabolic rate, whichever one you want to use, you know? Um, so you're, you're like, that's the main mediator in terms of your metabolism, like lean mass. And I, what I mean by that is also like your internal organs and all that kind of stuff. So you, you can't just look at some individual and go, Oh, they're 70 kilos. I'm 70 kilos. How come they're able to burn or how come they're able to eat this many calories per day? Right. Like if they are 5% body fat and you are 35% body fat, like there's in, inherently there's differences in terms of the lean mass and there's going to be differences in terms of your basal meta metabolism, like the, the actual just metabolic function of your body. That's not to say that fat mass doesn't have, you know, some metabolic con contribution, but lean mass just has more, you know, yeah, and yeah. you know, people like to go on about like, Oh, if you build more muscle, you burn more calories at rest. And that is true. It's a relatively meaningless uh, amount. Like uh, you'd have to gain like kilos of muscle to notice an actual effect. You know, people like to do like one kilo uh, is 50 calories extra per day, but that's just, that's not correct. I have articles on the website about that. If you want to read deeper about that. Um, but um, there, there is a difference in terms of when we look at, you know, comparing, <clears throat> comparing someone's weight, and if we see these huge differences in terms of their body composition, like I said, someone's 5%, someone's 35%, like there's a, a relatively large difference in lean mass between those individuals. So it's not just comparing, you know, weight, you know, um, and even if it is a difference of like 10, 12% body fat, then there still is a relatively significant difference in, in, in weight. Like I always think like, cause I'm basically hundred kilos, um, like whenever I see a percentage, like for me, that's basically one kilo in the difference. You know, like if I want to lose 5% body fat, that's five kilos that I have to lose. Now, obviously it's that scale down that the lower or the less you weigh, you know, but in my head, whenever I'm thinking, that, I'm like, this could be a relatively significant difference in, in, in muscle mass, in, in lean mass. And um, if we're just even talking about, you know, relatively small percentage changes you know like 10 percent you know um or sorry relatively small percentage differences you know like 10 percent um so if you're going to compare yourself and you know you're going to compare yourself you have to correct for lean mass so if you have higher body fat already it's going to be a different you know equation you know there's already differences um if you're not as active as that individual, like you don't know what they're doing. If they're saying four resistance training sessions and you're like, I do four resistance training sessions, like ask further questions. Like what is your daily step count or what is your, you know, non-exercise activity thermogenesis? Like, what, what, what's that at? You know, like, like obviously that's an unquantifiable <laughs> thing. Well, it's quantifiable, but uh, it's a, for the general person, they're not going to be like, well, my niche is actually 25% of my output uh, per day. You know, they, they're not going to know that, but, most people will know where their daily steps are at roughly if they are in this like health and fitness sphere. Right. So we have to correct for that as well, you know, but also you have to correct for stuff in terms of the actual training output, just because you're training four days per week doesn't mean that your four days is the same as their four days. You know, your four 
45 minute training sessions where you do, you know, real isolation, uh, 15 rep exercises versus their two hour training sessions where, you know, they're really progressively overloading. They're really gunning for progression on these major lifts and they're doing a relatively high amount of volume as well. Like obviously there's differences there. So you're not, you're, you're comparing apples and oranges. You're not comparing apples and apples, you know? So like there's a lot of variables that go into this um, and, that's even without uh, talking about the, the more, uh, we'll call them psychological or psychophysiological stuff like hunger and appetite and, you know, all those adaptations that we just touched on a second ago. Um, like <clears throat> it's, it's a basically an impossible comparison unless you are talking about your twin who lives in the same house as you. <laughs> yeah. And I'd also be mindful that a lot of the time, you know, you might be getting information from, personal trainers and looking at how much energy they're consuming or burning or whatever. And like one of the things that anyone has worked as a personal trainer will know is that you can eat a ridiculous amount of calories because you are so active, especially if you work on, um, a, a, in a large gym, you know, where there's a big distance between different machines and you're walking with weights across the room and stuff like that. Uh, if you're coaching, you know, 10 clients a day or whatever, um, you're constantly taking their weights on and off for them. You're setting up different exercises. You're walking, um, to and fro throughout the gym and you could be ha- you could be getting in 20,000 steps per day. And even that doesn't uh, cover it because you're also carrying weights throughout the day. So it really does start to to add up. And, and that was something I definitely found when I was, you know, working one-to-one as a personal trainer myself. And even just, even as a, even as a physio in a hospital, like when you're walking around in different wards, like this is obvious, obviously the same for other healthcare professionals and hospitals, or I had another client this week who is, who's actually working on a demolition site. Um, and when we look at his steps, it doesn't tell me everything that's going on with his activity because he's carrying bricks, he's carrying wheelbarrows, you know, he's uh, setting up sa- scaffolding or working with a hammer or whatever he happens to be doing. That's all activity as well. It isn't quantified just in steps. So there's a lot of different things that go into determining this stuff. Ultimately, the key message is don't compare your calories to someone else just because you weigh the same or even if you don't weigh the same. Also recognize that people have different levels of adaptation to dieting. So if you're someone who just adapts much quicker to dieting, you initially feel yourself getting uh, colder, you feel like your activity level is dropping, you feel more tired, etc. Notice that that's not something that happens to everyone and hence you can't necessarily compare your experience. And ultimately the goal is always to find strategies that work best for you um, and to focus on things like you know strategies to manage your appetite and make the caloric surplus appropriate and do the activity that's going to be sustainable, etc. Um, rather than just you know saying, but I want to be like that person because you know that's that's not how you win. And also, as a very, very final point on this, do realize that most people are liars. That's also true. Yeah. You know? So they're especially if they're selling something, they're going to be like, "Yes, this person dieted on X million calories, and I got them to do that, and they were dieting on twelve hundred beforehand." Like they're going to be, even if it's not a frank out and out lie, it's going to be hyperbolic because they're trying to sell you know and or even if they're trying to discuss their own you know experience you know you're not getting the the full story this is why i don't like telling people you know what my diet is or you know how my calories are you know it's it just it, it doesn't give the the whole story and it can just seem like a a lie almost like if i was to tell people be like oh yeah struggling to maintain my weight on five thousand calories you know like 
people are going to be like, what, 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 what methods, what's training stuff? What, 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 are you, what are you doing? Like, you know? And so again, you're not going to get the full story if it's just an Instagram post or some social media post. And especially if some individual is just like, yeah, here's my service. This is how I help people diet on higher calories. You know, like they're going to be hyperbolic again, even if it's not a lie, they're going to be hyperbolic, but some people are just liars. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, you do you do see it a lot in some of the uh, kind of uh, some of the low carb keto type people who will just be like, I eat whatever I want, never have to trap my calories, and I always lose weight. And then you actually like look at their feed, and they're like, Oh, I, I fast for two days a week as well, and I practice intermittent fasting for twelve to eighteen hours a day. It's like you don't eat whatever you want. You know, it's like you're you're clearly have other compensatory mechanisms in place, and you're eating a very healthful diet and everything. So, so yeah. Um, if someone's telling you I eat whatever I want as much as I want all the time and I can just lose weight, just uh, use this trick. Um, yeah, they're probably uh, lying or at least pulling the wool over your eyes. So that cover everything we wanted to cover. I think it did. So yes, sweet. So guys, as Patty mentioned in this episode, if you are interested in um, accessing things like case reports, case studies um, from clients we've worked with and some simulated clients because we want to cover more. Um, broad range of different cases that we would handle um, in a personal training context. Uh, the coach's corner is where you can, you can access that stuff. So that's going to be launching within the next month or so, as we've discussed in previous podcasts and elsewhere, it's going to be a kind of a cross between trying to provide information, but also really trying to put it into practice and show you how, how it actually applies in things like case studies um, and lots of applied exercise videos where we actually take the time to say, look, this is where the anatomy fits in. This is where the exercise mechanics fits in. This is where assessments for joint range of motion and stuff. This is where they fit in. And this is how you apply it to the individual in front of you. Because yeah, I'm thinking um, of like a, a working tagline of information and implementation, because nice. you know, feel that's like what's missing in a lot of personal trainers education and um, or a lot of coaches or just interested trainees like they'll learn information but they won't actually learn how to implement it you know or they'll learn implementation like they'll learn this is what you do and they don't have the the information behind that you know so when it goes wrong or it's, it doesn't work perfectly they're like oh, i don't have the background information to know how i should be tweaking this to ensure that it keeps working. So they're the, they're the two things that we're basically kind of go for. Information that's always in the context of implementation down the road. Like I don't, like, honestly, I don't care if you want to learn about some random, really hyper niche metabolic pathway or whatever, like that's cool. I'll just put that as a free article because you know, that's just information. What we're interested in is how does this information influence our implementation, our practices? How do you become a better coach in terms of, actually getting results for individuals actually knowing what to do and actually having the the toolbox be full of tools rather than just having one hammer yeah and i actually think there is a bit i was only thinking about this this morning because sometimes there is a pretty significant disconnect between people who have you know just read things and people who have actually coached a lot of people in practice because i was i was doing a check-in and i was working with this guy who's you know he's lost he's lost a good bit of weight in in the last eight weeks or so you know he's making great progress and everything and i was thinking i was talking about or talking to him about his his goals and stuff like that and how we put the goals into practice and set those up and came up with different strategies etc and i was just reflecting on the way that people kind of just 
read a research paper about how a dietary intervention didn't work very well and conclude that like diets don't work. Um, and if you're someone who just like reads research, you can say, okay, uh, cool. This intervention didn't work. So therefore dieting doesn't work. And some people do that. Some people obviously have a far more nuanced view, but the, the disconnect there is that if you're someone who is a coach in the real world, what you actually begin to realize is that uh, lots of people are different. You know, people have different preferences, different things work for different people. And that's not just like a cop out because sometimes it is. Sometimes people just say things like, uh, we're all unique and you must find the individual diet for everyone. And it's kind of just a, a cop out for actually discussing nutrition principles. Um, but how do we do that? Let me, let, tell me the process. Yeah, exactly. Tell me exactly how you, you individualize. But I mean, in terms of applied coaching, like any, any personal trainer or nutritionist or healthcare professional who's worked with individuals and a broad range of individuals will know that, you know, we don't just say that everyone does the same thing. So when you come across a research paper that has a blanket intervention for every individual in the study, it's absolutely no surprise that the outcomes aren't fantastic. You know, and one of the things you do see in research studies is that when they do have like a multidisciplinary team approach and there's an individualized um, approach and counseling, et cetera, that people do much better. Um, so that's what we're trying to kind of trying to do with the coaches corner is to say, look, here's the information and here's how it fits into practice and actually give you different case examples of how that information might actually change or apply differently. So, so yeah, that's the coaches corner. You can pre-register your interest below um, and basically you'll get a discount um, upon launch and there's no commitment involved. You can also join the triage method newsletter, subscribe to that. That's where you can keep up with all our content that we've been producing as well as recommended resources from around the internet. So that's something that's useful. Um, you can join our free Facebook group, the triage method community. Um, and that is where we, again, we have productive discussions about different things. We share research papers, people ask questions, we share some content that doesn't go on our social media. So that's worth worth um, joining as well. Uh, and then in general, you can like our Facebook page, Triage Method. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Triage Method. And you can follow us on Instagram where we are producing more organic content now these days. Um, and again, that's at Triage Method. So if you are interested, hit us up on all, these, all those places. And of course, subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review if that option is available on your respective podcast platform. Perfect, Gary. I have absolutely nothing else to say. Thank you, guys. We will see you next week. And remember that it's too easy.